You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. You can, you can access the podcast at any time. So if those pesky gooses that are around on the net turn up at your place, don't despair. They may pinch your radio or shut down your internet. The program is podcast. You can go to 3cr.org.au for the podcast. Now, if you wonder what Anarchy is all about, no, it's not about chaos. If you're into chaos, I suggest you join some religious or authoritarian religious group or political party. That's about chaos when you allow one or two people to decide your future for you. And Arcos without rulers. So what is the anarchist, what is the anarchist journey? It's the journey to create a society without rulers. So let's go back to basic. What gives rulers power? What gives them the opportunity to dictate what you and your family and friends can and cannot do? It's inequalities in power, relationships. So anarchism is about breaking down inequalities in power, relations. It's about creating a society where decisions are made by people, people electing delegates or appointing delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional, national level, possibly even internationally. Sounds cumbersome? Of course it's cumbersome. Democracy is always cumbersome. But people who are involved in a decision are more likely to get involved in implementing that decision than allowing somebody from some other planet making that decision for you. So it's about... Devolving power, sharing power. What else creates inequality? What else gives rulers power? When eight people own as much of the world's wealth as th- three billion, it's inequality. You realise inequalities in in wealth create give people power. If you've got a few hundred billion dollars in your back pocket, you've got a lot more power uh, than somebody who's got two cents. It's very simple. So the anarchist struggle is, once again, it's about to share wealth. It's about holding wealth in common. It's about creating wealth and holding that wealth in common. What we see today is wealth being created 
but a significant proportion ending up in the pockets of investors, not in the people who actually create the wealth. So, as I said, I keep saying ad nauseum, in the last 40 years, the amount of money that ends up in a worker's pocket, uh, for every dollar that an investor invests in a business that succeeds, some fail, obviously, succeeds, two-third returns to the investor, one-third returns to the worker. 40 years ago, it was exactly the reverse. So, anarchism is the struggle to devolve power and share wealth. It's a very simple struggle. And each and every one of us who's an activist, whether we call ourselves an anarchist or not, is involved in that struggle. So next time you hear somebody talking about anarchists with horns, well, tell them we don't have horns, we have wings. That's right, wings, golden wings. Now, I'm excited when you're my age to get excited is uh, unusual, to say the least, especially when you've seen as much as I have. You know, being a doctor for 44 years, you do see a lot of things. And an activist for over 50 years, you do experience and see a lot of things. I'm emboldened. I'm hopeful. You know the word hope? Hope is the love child of desire and expectation, the desire for change and the expectation that change will occur. And I'm emboldened because in the 21st century, in 2019, we are awash with the digital world. We, you know, we can look up any fact we like. We can see what's happening on the other side of the world. We can, you know, gorge ourselves on the spectacle. But I'm hopeful because the children, the children are now at the forefront, forefront of that revolt for equality that revolt for freedom. And I'll give you four examples which are raging as we speak. And as the dinosaurs and the living dead in the uh, corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC do somersaults about what's happening, the children are leading the way. And unlike the children's crusade in the 12th and 13th century when the children were sold into slavery... These children are savvy. They know much more than we did at our age because they've got access to the world. And they're not happy with what they see. But what they have done in the last few years, especially in the last few months, is move from their little darkened computers, from their iPads, onto the streets. And that's what we are seeing. The children understand that if you want political power, if you want to change society, it requires sacrifice, which means you work together, you work collectively on the streets. I'll give you four examples. The West Papuan revolt, which has been simmering for 60 years, has exploded in the last few weeks. And those of you who listened to the program last year would have... um, would have, you know, last week would have realised how difficult the situation is for West Papua and activists. And the fact it's the children who are out there. It's young people who are out there. It's their, they're the ones who are being killed for daring 
to fight for independence and equality. That's West Papua, 76 kilometres from our shore. Do we ever hear about it? Hardly. Then we move across to Hong Kong. The protests in Hong Kong. Now, obviously, the protests in Hong Kong, as far as the government girl at ABC and the corporate-owned media is concerned, is the darlings of the protests because, obviously, they're against the Chinese government, the Chinese you know, communist, capitalist authorities, whatever you like to call them these days. So somehow, you know, they you know, they get a little bit of coverage, tons of coverage, in comparison to what's happening in our corner of the globe. Although Hong Kong is our bit of our corner of the globe. In Indonesia, it's the children again across the nation, from Kalimantan to Solo to Sulawesi to different parts of the archipelago, we are seeing the children come out to protest against government initiatives, against the new parliament's initiatives to water down corruption laws, to introduce a penal code to punish people for everyday activity as Muslim fundamentalists, you know, uh, dig their claws into the parliamentary uh, representatives. We are thus seeing the children. Three have been shot dead in the last few days. Hundreds injured. As the state scrambles, scrambles in order to maintain its power and authority against its own children. And then we have the situation in around the world where we saw the children come out for climate change where they told us in no uncertain words that they were sick and tired of the empty rhetoric that it was time to do something they didn't want their futures to be extinguished and once again it's the children and in many regards it reminds me of 1968 when the young around the world rose up against the boredom, against the predictability, against the inequality, against the nationalism, the hatred that was being foisted by our parents and grandparents on us. And today, the clock has revolved 360 degrees, not 180 degrees, but 360 degrees. And almost 70, what, 60 years later, they're back. The the children are back. They're back on the streets. The spectacle isn't enough. Because the spectacle, the digital world, the fake connectiveness isn't enough to build a future on or even pay the bills. It is no foundation, no foundation for a life. And everywhere we are seeing this. These are just four examples in the last few weeks. Four examples. And I could talk about Egypt and Sudan, where again it was the children, young people, who are out there, fighting for their future against a ruling against ruling classes who somehow think 
they will be here forever, that somehow think that it's their future, who somehow think that they haven't destroyed the world, not through war, but through allowing a culture and a mindset to be developed across the world that compares corporate capitalism to mother's milk. That they think, where we're taught to believe, that it's only investors and capitalists who can actually shape the future, create wealth, resolve the issues, the problems that we face. So it is a period of great hope. Because young people, as we haven't seen for decades, are once again at the forefront of that struggle for economic equality and freedom. At the forefront. And those of us who've survived the indoctrination of religious bigots and corporate capitalism, those of us who've continued to fight over the decades, waiting for this moment when the younger generation realised that the emperor had no clothes, ever had any clothes on, and that all the fawning courtiers were nothing more than fawning, self-centred, you know, courtiers. You know, it's up to us, those who are on the margins, those of us who have been ostracised, marginalised, criminalised, because we've had the audacity to keep that dream alive of creating a society, not just without borders, but a society where power is shared and wealth is shared. It is our time now to help our grandchildren in that ongoing, lifelong, decades-old, century-old struggle to have control over the decision-making processes to have access to this world's resources. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Just like to remind members of public interest before corporate interests, and you're all welcome to join, just download the application form or give me a call on 0439 395 489 or you can write to Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 for an application form. And we have been uh, blessed with the entry of uh, younger people in the last few weeks. Blessed for our efforts, not for a supreme being, okay? So, just to remind members that uh, midday, Saturday the 5th of October, Saturday coming, at the Unitarian Peace Memorial Church at 110 Gray Street, East Melbourne, we'll be opening up the uh, secret ballots regarding eight policy initiatives which have uh, been created as a result of a year's uh, long um, uh, efforts. So the votes will come in and we'll see whether those policies 
policy initiatives have been accepted by the membership? Because public interest before corporate interest is a direct democratic uh, organisation. So let's move on. Now that hope has entered the studio and entered your life, let's move on. Now, you have to laugh sometime. You really have to laugh, but then you have to cry because it's so pathetic that you can laugh and cry at the same time. But um, I did notice a few days ago that uh, our beloved Prime Minister, the Right Honourable Mr Morrison, Scott Morrison, and our beloved uh, Federal Health Minister, the Right Honourable Mr Gregory Hunt, were singing a dance. They were singing and dancing. You'd think they were at a Christian revival meeting, the way they were carrying on. And what were they carrying on about? The fact that a few more drugs had been listed on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme. And it was, it was really nice to see the Prime Minister tell us that it was all because the budget was in balance. You know, they steal from the National Disability Insurance Scheme by underfunding it and then move the money across to the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme. And I'm thinking, this is not an aspect of life that should be politicised. This is people's lives, people who are dying with cancers. And here we are, these two, dancing on their graves, telling us what great people they are because the government has put some new drugs in the pharmaceutical benefits scheme. Give me a break. New drugs are put on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme on a regular basis and obviously some take a lot of push from the community to have them placed. This is a responsibility of government. It's a responsibility of government to provide health care for their citizens. And while they're carrying on about the how wonderful they are because they put a few new drugs in the pharmaceutical benefits scheme, they forget to tell us they've been trying to destroy Medicare since they came into office six or seven years ago by underfunding it, by forcing medical practices to abandon bulk billing. And anybody who's needed to have health care through the public sector, will know how difficult it can be unless it's an emergency situation. How difficult it can be. And it shouldn't be that difficult. So while they're, you know, dancing on people's potential graves, telling us what great people they are, why don't they look at the rest of the health system? Why don't they look at their so-called balanced budget? Isn't this a perfect time for governments to borrow, to provide essential services to the community? Because what's a government for? To provide security and services. Or do they want to revert back to their, uh, you know, 17th century, 18th century uh, mantra? Government is about all about maintaining the power of those who exercise power through a monopoly on the use of force. We didn't have tens of millions of people being involved in struggle and millions, tens of millions of dying in the 19th century and the 20th century in order to force the state to take on the responsibility of looking after its citizens' basic needs 
to see these basic needs privatised and given away to the private sector. We didn't do that. Those people didn't die, made those sacrifices, so that governments, 21st century governments, can remove them and put them back in the hands of those people who can afford the best healthcare money can buy, afford the best education money can buy, afford, you know, the best this and the best that that money can buy. Did, did they die for nothing? It's quite extraordinary to see the depths that this federal government will sink in order to hang on to power. We saw what happened at the last federal election. We are now seeing what's happening as the meat cleaver is being brought down on the community and everybody who's not a government, you know, friend is ostracised and criminalised. I'll give you an example of two inquiries that have been set up, unnecessary inquiries that have been set up by the federal government in the last few weeks, which actually shows how little respect they have for anything or anybody. The first is an inquiry into the family court system. There's been enough inquiries with the family court system. It's time to implement those changes which were recommended. And the way they structure their inquiries gives you an insight into a government that has nothing to offer and that is only interested in its own survival and looking after the needs of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange of communication and the little investment classes class we have in our society. That 8% of Australians who own property and investments who make a buck out of this country's taxation-friendly laws, which the electorate loves. So we've got the inquiry into the family court and we see that people are appointed whose minds are made up before they actually enter the inquiry. We're not having judicial figures, but people like the leader of Divided Nation. Boom, boom, Vice President. And then we get to the next inquiry. What is the single most successful business group in this country? And don't tell me it's BHP because they have been advertising lately because they only advertise when there's pressure and I'll talk about that in a minute. It's the industry-based superannuation funds. That's right, not-for-profit industry-based superannuation funds which are normally trade union orientated, in some cases trade union controlled who now provide benefits, superannuation benefits, to over 60% of Australians. So what does the government do? Who passed the Royal Commission into the banking and financial sector with flying colours? Well, the Commissioner said they, you know, their behaviour was exemplary in comparison to the private sector, who we saw brought kicking and screaming to an inquiry which showed their moral bankruptcy and their financial skullduggery. So what does the government do? 
it holds an inquiry. And who heads the inquiry? The head of the self-funded superannuation group who has been fighting against industry-based funds for years. So here we have it. This is a government which has nothing to offer anybody that is willing to set up corrupt inquiries in order to destabilise its political opponents. This is a government that's willing to jump up and down about, you know, using the future of people with cancer in this country to promote its own political and corporate interests. As I said before, evil comes in many forms. And not everybody is evil. You can see their cloven hooves, tail and horns. Sometimes they look like decent respectable citizens. And that's the beauty about evil. It is so mundane that it's difficult to spot and eradicate. It is for the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's right. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joe Toscano. You can go to a few sites if you're interested in the uh, virtual world. If not, you can join us on a few, you know, real things. I'd like to thank all those people who participated in the 24-hour public housing vigil, public housing everybody's vigil, outside the Victorian Parliament House last Friday. Not only did they see the grand final parade, but we had a, quite a significant impact on people past. And I've, I've been involved in a lot of campaigns over the years, and I think this is one of the most successful campaigns in terms of public support. People don't know what to do, and they get a bit confused regarding government government propaganda at the state and federal level regarding social housing, affordable housing, community housing, and the fact that the public housing you know, has been removed from the lexicon. But People understand the need for public housing. So it was good to see. Now, as I said, look, uh, if, you, if you are in Melbourne between 5.30 and 6.30 every... That's p.m., not a.m. at this stage, 5.30 to 6.30 p.m., we do gather outside the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. Uh, we don't actually have any politicians coming down to talk to us. We've had two independent types that have come out a little chat, but I've never seen a member of the Labor Party, the National Party or the Liberal Party come down and have a little chat I don't expect them either, but that's the way life is. So I'd like to thank all those people who turned up and who continue to support this campaign. This is a campaign which will run till the next state election, which will be held in three years' time, I think 1922 or 23. Uh, We'll be there. We're not going away. We will grow in strength. So thank you to all those who are supporting the Public Housing Everybody's Business campaign. If you want to learn more about it, you can go to the... Two websites or two Facebook pages, Public Housing Everybody's Business or Defend and Extend Public Housing. Uh, you can see what's lined up. Now let's move on. Next Wednesday, the 9th of October, is Peter Norman Day. Now last year we had a lot of activity regarding Peter Norman, and not because he was an extraordinary athlete, 
whose record Australian his record for two hundred metres still stands in Australia. Peter Norman was the silver medalist at the nineteen sixty eight Olympics. But Peter Norman, the picture of Peter Norman with his two uh, with his two running mates from the US, Carlos and Smith, is one of the those seminal images of the twentieth century. And if you uh, are into you know search engines and you do use the internet, you'll see that it's one of the twentieth uh, twenty most important images of the twentieth century. And there were a lot of things that happened in the universe in the twentieth century. And just to remind your uh, you what it was all about. Peter Norman was a school teacher here in uh, Melbourne. Good runner. Didn't expect he wasn't expected to do much at the Olympics. He was sent to the Mexico Olympics. He uh, gained the silver medal. And '68, as you know, was a year of uh, turmoil around the world, especially in the United States of America, where race relations, surprise, surprise, were a huge issue. And John Carlos and uh, Tommy Smith, John Carlos, an Afro-American, received the, he came first with the gold medal, Peter Norman from Australia second with the silver medal, and uh, Tommy Smith, no, it's the other way around, sorry, Tommy Smith first, Tommy Smith first, gold, Peter Norman silver second, and John Carlos bronze, this is the 200 metres, and... um, The Afro-American athletes had seriously considered boycotting the 1968 Olympics to show their disgust with race relationships in the US of A, especially what was happening in the southern US of A, but decided to go. And they wore a badge, the United Nations Human Rights Project. Uh, You know, Peter Norman, a knockabout bloke from Australia, was asked, did he support the struggle for universal human rights by these gentlemen? And he said, yes. He said, I'll support you in anything you do on the dais. And on that day, when they received their medals and the Star Spangled Banner was played, Peter Norman stood on the dais, head bowed, with a... a, a, uh, a human rights badge, which they had given him to wear. And the two other runners, Smith and Carlos, raised their fists in black gloves. And for that moment of solidarity, that moment of human solidarity, Peter Norman paid the ultimate price. He was ostracised by the Australian Athletics uh, Association his name was Mud. He got to the stage in the 2000 Olympics, he wasn't even invited to attend. And when the United States delegation rang him up to see what you know where he'd be on the day, he said he hadn't been invited. And he became the uh, special guest of the US at the Sydney Olympics of the United States uh, track and field team. And when he died on the 9th of October, I think it was 2009, he was so respected the United States Track and Field Association declared the 9th of October Peter Norman Day, a day of international human rights, a day for equality. And it was good to see last year that the athletics authorities finally accepted their most famous son, 
back into the fold. And they'll be uh, unveiling a statue to Peter Norman in the uh, Lakeside region, which is the sporting uh, region, um, here in Melbourne at 10am on the uh, 9th of October, which is next Wednesday. Now, we don't want to see Peter Norman's efforts just relegated to the sporting arena. We want to see Peter Norman's efforts celebrated in an era where racism and racial inequality has become a political badge of honour for many political parties around the world, including political parties and movements in this country. And although I'll be attending uh, the official unveiling of the statue on the 9th of October, the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee will continue to hold a one-hour day of observance, a one-hour, I mean, uh, observance period during Peter Norman Day. Because Peter Norman does not, does not just belong to the Australian Athletics Association. Peter Norman belongs to each and every one of us. We all have a little bit of Peter Norman in us. It may have been beaten out of us as we grow up, but we all have that little bit in us which says that people should be judged by their actions not by what they wear, what they look like, their racial origins, the colour of their skin, their sexual orientation, their sexual preference. And that what Peter Norman showed us is that the individual can make a difference. That if we see a situation which is unacceptable, that we can have the ability to step in and make a difference. And that's what Peter Norman Day is all about. So I encourage you to come and join us to celebrate Peter Norman Day outside the Melbourne Town Hall at the corner of Swanson and Collins Street. That's outside, not inside. We wouldn't be invited inside, but outside. From 1pm to 2pm, you won't be able to miss us. There'll be large banners there for the uh, celebration Come and join us, pay your respects to Peter Norman, open microphone, tell us what you think. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Just like once again to uh, thank all those people who are beginning to join the West Papuan Rent Collective. I did make an appeal for new members last week and I continue to make an appeal for new members and it's a dollar a day to join, a dollar a day, not much when you think about it, to keep uh, the office at 838 in Docklands open. It's an organising point. It's an international organising point, the office at Docklands for the West Papua Independence Movement. And it is paid for by ordinary people, you and me. Well, I should say extraordinary people. Who else would give a dollar a day to keep the office open but extraordinary people? So if you're an extraordinary person, and you want to keep the flame of West Papua independence alive, well, this is one way to do it. Once again, 
You can go to my Facebook page, uh, scroll down, Joseph Toscano, Joseph Toscano. You'll come across all the details of how to uh, join the Rent Collective. Not computer literate, want to join? You can always ring me on 0439 395 489 or send me a note at Post Office Box 20 Parkville and I'll send you out the material. Because, see, the anarchist world this week is not about talk. Talk's easy. You know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Everybody who listens to the anarchist world this week can walk and chew gum at the same time. If you're not an activist, there's no point listening to the... I mean, activism comes in many forms. It can be financial support. It can be psychological support. You know, there's nothing better than receiving an email or a letter or a telephone call saying, you know, you're doing a good job. I can't help. I'm too old, you know. But at least I appreciate what you're doing. So we're activists. The anarchist world this week is not just about analysis and commentary, which, you know, goes into the ether and disappears. It's about organising activities and to highlight different aspects of uh, life, to promote different ideas, promote that struggle for equality, both at a political level and a social level. So if you are interested in that struggle, I encourage you to join Public Interest before Corporate Interest. You can download the application form on pibci.net, pibci.net, or uh, ring up, write, it's all there. It's really up to you whether we get this uh, organisation registered as a political party so that we can actually assist the children's revolution which we are seeing breaking out around the world. Now, are you excited by the tax, by the Reserve Bank counting interest rates by 0.25%? Well, if you've got money in the bank and you don't trust the stock market, you wouldn't be very excited because you're getting nothing back. You could have a million dollars in the bank and you may be lucky to get 10 grand or 5 grand if you're lucky. That's how pathetic it's become. But, you know, if you're a homeowner or you've got a loan, oh, you'd be dancing in the street, wouldn't you? Oops. 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 I forgot about the Christmas Grinch. You know, that Christmas Grinch that wants to ruin it for everybody. The banks, the corporate-owned banks. Now, I saw our great federal treasurer, Mr Frydenberg, great man, great man. Not the world's greatest treasurer. That was either Keating or Costello, I can't remember. One or the other think they're the world's greatest. I'll sort that out. But I saw him crying. He was upset. The banks aren't passing on the full interest rate cut to their customers. And he said, change banks. He forgot they're all the same. Poor, deluded man telling us to change banks. Now, look, can I go back to basics? Now, I know you think I'm an idiot, but, look, I'm going to go back to basics. What is the role of a corporation? The role of a corporation is to maximise profits for its shareholders. That it's its legal responsibility. It's not to think about the national interest. 
It's not to have, you know, think ethically invest. It's about maximising profits to their shareholders. And if that means killing people and cremating them and then selling the ashes because you can make a buck, well, you know, it's a possible commercial venture. So what do you expect the banks to do in a corporate capitalist world? Of course they're not going to give you the full interest rate cut. They're there to maximise profits to their major shareholders. They're not there to provide a customer service. The customer service is there in order to get you in through the door and then they can empty your pockets legally. So anybody who listens to our great treasurer, Mr Frydenberg, tell us that he's disappointed the banks haven't passed on the full interest rate cuts really needs their head read because that's what happens on a regular basis. That's what's happened. I mean, banks are still charging 20 to 22% interest on credit cards. That's right. You'd be lucky to get a credit card with a 9% or 8% interest. Banks are still charging business borrowers anywhere between 6 and 12%. Even business borrowers who have actually got collateral. That's what they do. So the poor governor of the Reserve Bank is at his wits' ends. Interest rates are down to 0.75%. Never in the history of Australia have they, since Federation, have they been point. There's a naught before it. 0.75%. Because the Reserve Bank understands that we find ourselves in the current situation because money, tax cuts that have been come in and cuts in interest rates, it doesn't flow into consumption. It doesn't flow into people buying more services. It doesn't flow into creating more jobs, although the government jumps up and down about creating 314,000 jobs in the last 12 months. Well, if you look at the number of people that have come into the country in the last 12 months, you can understand that these jobs are basically bodgy jobs because it's based on population growth, not because the economy has expanded. So what we are seeing is this money going back into a property market bubble in Sydney and Melbourne, which means people borrowing more money, paying more money back to the banks. We're not seeing these interest rates cuts flowing into businesses which then create jobs and create wealth, let alone going to cooperatives and collectives. They don't even exist as far as this government is concerned. So it's the wrong message. And the head of the Reserve Bank keeps bashing his head on the table saying, I can't do this anymore. We're going to have to print money and buy government bonds to stimulate the economy. And Mr Frydenberg says, it's all right. It's all right. There's nothing happening out there. There aren't 700,000 Australians who are unemployed and there aren't 1.2 million Australians who'd like to do some work who are only partially employed. And the Australian unemployment rate isn't above 5%, while across the ditch in New Zealand it's 1.7%. 
and even the US of A, it's 3.5%. And they keep pushing up the figure of, we've created all these jobs, we've created all these jobs, but all these jobs are basically created as a result of immigration, not a result of increase you know, in pro- pro- productivity. When people come, they need shelter. When people come, they need food. When people come, they need clothes. More services. At the same time, we're fighting a proxy war with China, who's our biggest uh, financial contributor. And Australia is the country in the world that is most dependent on Chinese goodwill in order for the economic miracle, Mr Frydenberg's economic miracle, to continue. So you think about it. And if you're old, well... Karma is hit. Karma has hit us old people. You know, we were the sixty-eight. We were the sixty radicals, and then we became the sixties conservatives, and now the, you know, the eighties conservatives, and now the twenty-first century reactionaries. who are more interested in our franking credits than the future of the country. So it's hit us with a sledgehammer because you know what. The government and the corporate sector realised that a lot of old people got a lot of money, either in superannuation or tied up in investment properties. They've got that money because they've been starving their kids, drip-feeding their kids who are still at home, 30. So, anybody with a brain, half a brain, living in a capitalist economy knows that you need to get into the aged care sector. That's right. We need to provide services and care for the elderly, people like me and you, you know, the elderly, the walking wounded, those of us who survived to a ripe old age. And guess what? We've been sold out by those very people who claim to have our backs by those very people that over 65% of Australians over 65 voted for at the last federal election because we were so concerned about our franking credits, not our, about our grandchildren's future. And guess what? The privatisation of old age has been one of the most evil things that has happened in this society in the last this century. We've seen the privatisation of old age through compulsory superannuation. Where most money now in superannuation funds is invested to a significant degree in the stock market and we've increased with dropping interest rates, there's no point keeping money in banks because you've got to pay them to keep it there. But the corporate sector was a little bit concerned about getting into aged care because it's a intensive, it's a labour-intensive industry. You like that? L-I-I. Labour-intensive industry. It means you need to pay people to do things. You can't get computers to do a lot of work for the elderly. It needs to be done with two hands. It's like I said at the beginning of the program, children have realised not just a spectacle in the digital world, it's about getting out on the streets and challenging authority that creates change. 
So what did they demand? The first thing they demanded was reforms, in inverted commas. Reforms actually means to make better. This is actually to make worse. And currently, legally, any aged care facility only needs one one carer, that's a carer, personal care attendant, for 20 inmates. Or shall I say residents. And one registered nurse for 100 residents. So no wonder we've got an aged care royal commission into the standard of care, into the privatised, that's right, privatised aged care industry where the same rules apply as apply to all other aspects of life in 21st century Australia. You can buy the best healthcare money can buy. You can buy the best aged care money can buy. You can buy the best education money can buy. But if you ain't got the cash, you've got the problem. You make do with what's there. Think about it. You work all your life, you pay your taxes, you obey the laws, you put your money in your super funds, you do the right thing, and at the end of the day you get squeezed, pushed around, exploited. To the extent that you need a royal commission to find out what's going on. And anybody with one, one synapse in urine would know the, fi- the reason we find ourselves in this aged care vortex is because aged care, like preschool care, is now dominated by a handful of large corporations who basically see the provision of aged care and the provision of early childhood care as a superhighway to the Treasury, as a superhighway to the money, taxes which are raised because of your efforts. Think about it. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscan. I'm hosting today's program. Lots of things to talk about, but more importantly... I want you to think about agent provocateurs. Now, the situation in Hong Kong is interesting because the government, that's the Chinese Communist Party, has got a very interesting um, program. And what it wants to do is drive a wedge between the mass of people in Hong Kong and people who are taken to the streets. And it realises that there's not many brownie points in shooting people or bashing them to death. But there are brownie points in creating a violent confrontation. And what we are seeing is the introduction of agent provocateurs as a mechanism via which to escalate violence and actually divide activists from their support base. And we see this constantly. We saw this constantly in Europe. 20 years ago when people were involved many people involved in violent activities actually turned out to be agent provocateurs people who were actually employed 
by the state to create that situation. Now, in a situation where the state has a monopoly on the use of force, and that is Australia, the state feeds on violence. It loves violence. It's what stokes it. It's what gives it the moral authority to pass harsh legislation which rips away rights and liberties which people think they've enjoyed. So it is their reason to exist, to protect us from ourselves. And as protest movements grow more and more significant, and we'll see this in this country in the next few years, and as more and more people take to the streets... Beware of the individual who comes out of nowhere, who promotes a violent agenda. Always be beware of that individual because the agent provocateur is the fifth is the state's fifth columnist in the protest movement. So we will see we've seen it before in Australia. We'll see it again. So keep your ears and eyes open. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is a podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Scarn. I've been hosting today's program. A few websites you can go to. You can always write to me, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. That's Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. I was overwhelmed with letters today. You can always ring me in 0439 395 489. Don't expect me to answer straight away. Leave a message and I'll get back to you. Don't forget, we still need more nominations for the Eureka Australia Medals. Send in a paragraph about something who somebody who you believe reflects the principles of the Eureka Oath. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. Send them to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052 or email them to anarchistage at yahoo.com. Go to my personal Facebook page, Joseph Toscano or Toscano for the Public. No, you won't know the colour of my underpants. Not interested. Maybe I don't wear any. You can uh, go to the Facebook pages, Public Housing Everybody's Business, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, the YouTube channel where you see yours truly, an interesting place in the city of Melbourne every week, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, the Twitter stream, which is I haven't done much for a while, which is Pipsy underscore AU, and the list goes on and on and on and on. But take a leaf out of the children's book. Remember, change comes when you burst through the banner and take action. It's a little bit like a football game. you got to burst before the, through the banner before you take to the field. Most of us are still waiting at the banner. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week, which is podcast via the Community Radio Network, 3cr.org.au. Construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall this week. 
Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.